Go ahead, Rifki. No, you go first. <laughs> you go. No, you go first. I'll, okay, fine. Hi, I'm Rifki Silver. And I'm Alex Fletcher. And this is Normal From Women. The podcast where we embrace the complexities, nuances, and joys of from womanhood. Normal From Women is supported by Big Box for Kids. When you sign up for your monthly subscription, Big Box for Kids will send you an adorable kosher baking kit each month, providing hands-on fun for little and big bakers. Each beautifully packaged box comes complete with pre-measured, individually packaged dry ingredients, step-by-step instructions, and a fun activity. You can choose from the beginners or advanced options, and from a one, six, or 12-month subscription plan. There's even a special weekly summer series for advanced bakers. Follow bakebox underscore four underscore kids on Instagram and visit www.bakeboxforkids.com to subscribe today. Welcome back. We hope everyone's having a great summer and settled into their summertime routines. Today on the podcast, we are talking about BT stages. We want to give voice to the Balchuva experience and how it's very normal to go through stages in one's religious enthusiasm and quite possibly in one's commitment to religious practices as well. Mm-hmm. Relationships have stages. And our relationship with Torah does too, especially if it started out with that honeymoon stage, which is so common with Bali Chuba. And the truth is those of us who are not BTs also can go through periods of time in our religious lives where our enthusiasm waxes and wanes. This is a topic that I know is important to Rifki as well. And I'm excited to feature it on the podcast today. Yes, me too. What we wanted to do with this episode is to talk to two Bali Chuba to hear their perspectives and experiences someone recently religious, and on the other side of the spectrum, someone who has gotten to the point where they've married off children. So we did a little research to figure out who to bring on, and we invited Liv Scher, who is an undergraduate student at NYU, and Panina Taylor, who lives in Alonshfoot and has married off all of her children. We think that you're going to find our conversation with them fascinating. They both have so many insights to share about their personal journeys and a lot more too. At the end of today's episode, we hope you'll have gained more insight into and appreciation of the experiences of Bali Chuba in our community. If you yourself are a Bali Chuba, we hope that this episode resonates. So let's jump right in and bring you our conversation with these two special Jewish women, Liv and Panina. We'll catch up together afterwards to share our thoughts. Liv, we are so excited to have you on this episode of Normal From Women. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we got connected through Twitter. I saw your tweets. I loved your tweets. I still love your tweets. So when we were planning this episode and we were looking for someone who had become from like relatively recently, um, not like yesterday, but like, you know, for like uh, around like one and a half to two years-ish, I was like, Alex, I know the perfect person to bring on for this episode. So Liv, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit and tell our listeners who you are and what you're about. Hi, I'm Liv. I'm a senior at uh, NYU. I'm still getting used to saying that I'm a senior. Um, (laughs) I study women's health and I'm getting my master's in public health. Um, I became from sophomore of like my sophomore year, second semester. So that's when I like started giving Shabbos and started like getting really involved with the Orthodox community. So I've been from 
year and a half now and just like progressively gotten really involved and I've really like fallen in love and like I'm having the best time. And tell me how you got connected at NYU. So I got to college and I was very much like I'm not getting involved with the Jewish community. I had not been involved with the Jewish community like since my bat mitzvah. I was like it was not like in my plans and I think I got there and I made some really good friends like my first week who all were really involved in Hillel and they like convinced me to come and I actually like had the experience of being both going to the reform minion for an entire semester and then actually I was on the board of I was vice president of the conservative minion for another semester wow before I like started going to orthodox services Mm -hmm. and was there like a particular rabbi like how how did you start getting interested in orthodoxy yeah it was a few things I think it was the combination of like I said I was very involved in the Jewish community at NYU to begin with and I think I was really just personally interested in becoming really involved with my Judaism and I think it repeatedly was starting to feel like I was the most observant person in the room so that was like really happening with when I was in reform spaces I was like this is not what I'm looking for out of a Friday night and then like like when I started keeping Shabbos I was still going to the conservative minion and it was just like there was a lot of holistic issues that were coming up especially during COVID because like mm-hmm. we would zoom stream our services and I was like I cannot be there so that was a really big factor of just like I kept being the person who was the most observant person in the room and that was an isolating experience and it also yeah. like I happened to go to Israel um, January of my sophomore year, so about a year ago, and I think that was a really meaningful experience for me. It was really like a lot of connection. I also met my Rebbitzin, who was co-leading that trip on that trip. Oh, she, tell us. Who, who was that? Uh, her name is Corinne Schmuel. She's the best. I love her so much. Um, I could brag about her till the end of time. She was co-leading that trip, and like we had known each other because like through Bronfman things, I also have my best friend all throughout college was Orthodox. And we did, actually didn't meet through Jewish stuff. We met through like, I was, um, I lead a mentoring club for mid- middle school girls and we both happened to be in it. And like, we, so we nice. met there. Um, yeah. So she and I, so like she introduced me before the trip, but like during the trip, we ended up really connecting. Yeah. Like I really connected with her and I think I've spent so much time with her since then. I think we end up getting coffee like once a week. <laughs> wow. And she's been super like influential, not only like helping me through this entire process, but I think she and also my rabbi were not raised in from spaces. They like their families are not from. So I think like there's a level of understanding I have with both of them that I think like a lot of times I don't share with people who are from from birth, which is really nice to have out of like my rabbi and Robinson. Like they get mm-hmm. the whole like their family not being religious thing. And I also think she's just been so great at like welcoming me and like making me feel so accepted in my community. So nice. Okay. So your rabbi is, is her husband. Yeah. yeah. And this is JLIC from yeah. the, the OU's college initiative. Is that, yeah. is, did I catch that right? Yeah. Oh, they're doing amazing work. It's really just fantastic. And I feel like we heard a little bit about, you know, what inspired you the most to change of that, having that isolation of being like, I don't want to be the most observant person in the room. I don't want to be the only person who's doing this. I want to have a community. You know, I really relate to that. 
how do you have you thought about how you expect to like maintain that inspiration and the excitement of like you know finding your place and finding this connection you know as you move forward in life yeah definitely I think it's a conversation I've had with both my entire friend group and also like my rabbi just about like I think the what a really nice thing about the New York community and especially the New York community when you're in college is that there kind of feels like there's one path and I know that seems like it's very limiting but like it's very nice that like we all go to college and like you and them by the time we're graduating like we're all making plans to like live together and move in together on the Upper West Side in the Heights and I think that is like everyone does that and like that's like been known for years after college everyone goes to the Upper West Side or everyone goes to the Heights and like you'll have roommates it's like very much many of my friends who just graduated this year already like found apartments and are moving in with people on the Upper West Side and like I think like the continuation that like the community on my undergrad has given me is like everyone I know has been able to so easily continue by just like finding people downtown and like continuing that um uptown and I think that's like a really nice part of living in New York so it sounds like so much of your journey and correct me if I'm wrong you've been from it sounds like just like about a year and a half right so you know you had mentioned the role of orthodox friends and the role of mentors and um you know I can speak to for myself like I know how relationships and role models have been very instrumental on my religious growth would you say that that's accurate for you as well yeah, actually, I wrote an article for Halema a little bit back about just, like, the role that, like, other Orthodox women have played in, like, this entire journey, and I think, like, so much of it has been, like, my Orthodox friends that, like, especially my Orthodox female friends who've been so amazing about, like, helping me and guiding me through this process and, like, understanding things that, like, I just, I would not have been able to do this without them, and I think so much of the large motivation behind like me becoming a Bolshevik was like this sense of community and like I've really I have gotten it and like tenfold fascinating really you know I guess that leads me to the next question is can you can you pinpoint when you talk about your mentors and your friends what guidance do you most value as you were becoming from and as you are now a year and a half in that you received from your mentors sure I think I'm going to talk about like two different things I think were really important I think first of all like I the reason I was most hesitant about becoming from full transparency is my feminism I was like I don't know how to do these things I was like I don't know how to be a religious woman and I also and also be the feminist that I've been like raised by my mother like at the beginning I remember it feeling very counterintuitive like just like different from each other and I didn't know how to mesh them and I think it was my Robinson, who's like maybe one of the most amazing feminists I've ever met and like my best friend mm-hmm. and like so many women who I've met in the community who I've had these conversations with about like, well, like we don't wear pants because of this reason. And like, maybe that's anti-feminist and like having these conversations that I've been able to like so much work through that. And like, I'm very proudly like an Orthodox feminist. And like those things, those identities of being Orthodox and being feminist go together completely for me now and I think like without those conversations I think I would have had a really hard time becoming from and I think secondarily just like what I've gained through my friends and like my mentors is someone to listen to but like I am so deeply appreciative of my family and how understanding they are 
to the end of time and also they don't understand things and sometimes that's hard and like I think having like coming back from I like spent Pesach with my family for the first time this year like and like my like large extended family and I was the one who like led the Seder and I think that was like a really weird experience for me because like I'm 20 and like I don't want to have to be the one to like lead the Seder like when I'm like at a table with like my grandparents and my parents and like they just like don't have the Jewish knowledge to lead a Seder and like I like got back and I spent second date like all of second days at my rabbi and Rebbitsons and I was like I'm I was just very upset about first days just because of like how things were and like I ended up was like able to like have that conversation with them about like how like everything and just like feeling like there's just such a disconnect from Jewish Judaism and Jewish knowledge in my family and like that sense of understanding like has made this process so much easier just because like I don't know like being able to be listened to on these issues like means the world to me because like I sometimes it is like an area in my life that I think can feel very lonely. Um, I like to just comment on two things number one I think it's very profound that you as a child was leading that Seder. Yeah, I, I, I definitely hear the struggle in it, but as an objective outsider, I think it is the most beautiful thing, you know, but we're meant to, but I got it to Levincha, you're meant to teach over and pass it over to your children. And you yourself felt that you didn't receive that so strongly from your family, but now you're coming back to your family and you're teaching them. I think it's, it's just beautiful. And I also just wanted to comment what you're saying before, like something that was so important for you is that you ask questions that you, you struggle with things and you had someone to talk to and you, you use the language, you could work through it with them. And mm-hmm. that's really, really important. I think it's important for all of us, not just people who are becoming from, we need to face head on this, the struggles and the issues that we may be having with Yiddishkeit. And we need to be able to turn to someone because if we don't turn to someone and we can't talk it through and work it through, we're just going to have this like resentment building and struggle that could lead to very bad places because we never resolved it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 100%. I could not agree more, Alex. And I also wanted to touch on just that to validate just that feeling of like, lo- not loneliness, but just differentness of, especially if you have a lot of Orthodox friends and they're all going to their family for Yantav and you're like, and I'm leading my Seder. And so <laughs> it's so nice to be able to have those mentors and to have the people that you can go back and talk to this about in, in a similar vein of like, you know, with the, like you, what you were saying, Alex, when you have the questions of the things that are maybe not meshing so well, this is the same thing with dealing with the sometimes very complex family dynamics that come with, you know, having a different path than your, your family. And I think it's fantastic that you have that and you should just continue to have these amazing friends and mentors who can support you. And I was thinking as you were describing your, your Pesach experience, the interactions with parents is a, a challenge for many, Bali, Chuva, and Garam. And I was wondering, um, what are some of the challenges that you have faced as a Balas Chuva? I think you know, overwhelmingly, it is amazing and great. And also, there's some hard things. I think, you know, I've been home for about a month now. And like, I I don't ever spend more than a month at home anymore. I I lived in the city all of last year. I had an apartment up until uh, like beginning of June, like, but I'm home and like, navigating kashrut is a whole issue here that like, I like, kosh, re-kosher a kitchen and like all of that. And like, I, I have my own dishes. And like, figuring out how to eat is very difficult and like my birthday fell on Shabbos this year and like I all I wanted was like my family to like 
spend Shabbos with me and they did and it was amazing and it was so sweet and it was great but it felt like such a big ask and like that and I think like it's my my parents are trying their absolute hardest and I I appreciate it till the end of time and also I think sometimes it's exhausting to always having to be the person who is explaining your life and explaining these choices and I think sometimes it feels like there's like a level of like well I could just do things differently and that I like I don't always appreciate and I think like I don't ever want to feel like I'm burdening my family like they like going out like finding a place to eat for Father's Day was impossible like and like all of these things that like I don't want to feel like I'm the person who's making things hard sometimes comes up even though like everyone in the situation is trying their best I think that has been difficult I also say like the from community isn't has been very accepting to me and also there are people who hold biases I think those have just been the like the large parts of like there are people who very much are tied to this idea of like yachos and like being and like I think like I don't have that and like I'm very open about not having that I'm also very, very open about the fact that like my background is electrically complicated and like I'm working on fixing it like my mom convert my dad is Jewish my mom was patrilineal and converted reform and like because of that like I'm going through an orthodox conversion right now and like I'm very open about all of these things and like and you're, um, I mean, there's so many people in your shoes yeah so like I am like I'm very open about how things are complicated for me and like I think like there's people I know who are great and who 100% view me as Jewish. And I think there are people who are much more hesitant and much more like, well, you didn't grow up in our our inner circle. And I think like the moments, I will never hate a moment more than when I'm like at a part, like, party, like Motsi Shabbos, like with my people in my community. And the, the question I get asked when I'm meeting people is, where did you go to high school? Nah. Like, I'm like, <laughs> like I... I'm like, like, cause it's just like, it's a moment of like, I'm obviously going to be like, well, I went to public school and that tells you so much about me that I just didn't want you to know in the five se- seconds I'm, I've met you. Mm-hmm. Like, this happens to us. <laughs> it still happens to us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, this has been such a journey for you going to college, reconnecting to, you know, more observant Judaism, but then really sort of grappling with your unique backgrounds. And it sounds like it's not just becoming from this this has been a real self-discovery for you in your Judaism yeah it definitely has I think like at the end of the day like it has been so much for your connection it's been I like think a lot about and like I was having this conversation with a very good friend of mine when I like made the official decision that I was like going to go through a conversion process um about how Judaism really has been like very lost in my family like my grandparents were very assimilated yeah so I like had this like whole conversation with my with my best friend just like about how like this entire process is much work it's going to be as hard as it's going to be as emotionally vulnerable as it is going to be like I'm doing something very important that I like I wouldn't happen in my family and Mm -hmm. like I think that has been what largely drives me and I also think just like I'm a happier person like being this person I am so much happier Mm. and like 
I know that so much. Like I, I feel it every day of like, just like the appreciation I have for the world around me and like the people, the support system I have and like is unmatched. I say this constantly, like as much as like, there's obviously like complaints be had about any community. Like I know if something happened, like my, everyone would be there for me in like a second. And like, that's something that I don't think you can get in many places. Very beautiful. Okay, so our last question for today is, if you think about, you know, you have a platform right now, you're on Normal From Women, we've got hundreds of people listening to this episode, and you have an opportunity to share a message with the From community about being someone who's recently abolished Shuba. What would you like to tell them? I would probably, I think I would say two things. I would say, I think work with people where they are. Um, when I first walked into Orthodox spaces, I was, had known absolutely no new Jewish knowledge. And I also still wore pants and like crop tops. So like, I, uh, I think working with people where they are meeting people where they're at is the best way to make people feel like they can become more religious. And I would say there are better grounds to meet people on than like the, their past. I think there's so many times in connections at like Kiddishes where like the camp questions are so much centered around like, where did you go to camp? And like, what high school did you go to? And do you know this person and this person and this person? And like, that's just something as well. Shiva, I will never have uh, that Jewish geography connection that like so many people I know all of my friends get. And I think people accidentally don't realize that it can feel make things feel very isolating and I think a really good step is just find common ground that isn't like the people you know um because I think so much of it so much of like think ways that Baltashivas are made to feel like different and isolated are so accidental because it's so just built into the social network of how from communities work and like I think we can do better Beautiful. I love that. I I think that that's such a thoughtful thing that we can all do of just having that extra moment of thoughtfulness and mindfulness about how are we making that small talk at that simcha, at that kiddush, at that whatever. Are we just falling into the, what are the easy patterns of conversation? Or are we really being you know, having our eyes open to like, who are we talking to? Like what, what would be an actual good conversation? What would be a considerate conversation? What could, you know, there's so many things that you can talk about that aren't related to who, the, to Jewish geography, you know, and to just take that moment to step outside of our comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what I'm just so impressed with, with you, Liv, is, um, you know, sometimes Bali Chuva will, suffocate parts of themselves, if you will, or dismiss parts of themselves that are very important to who they are. And, you know, you mentioned earlier in the, in the interview, how, you know, being a feminist is just part of who you are. That's how you were raised. That's not something that's just, oh, I can just turn that off. And I love how you found the space in Orthodox Judaism to express that. You found other women role models who feel similar to you. And um, I think it's very healthy and that will serve you well. And, and as you continue on in your, your journey. I want to thank you again for coming on and sharing your experiences and your wisdom. That was Liv. And now we are going to share our conversation with Panina Taylor. So we'd like to welcome Panina Taylor to Normal from Women today. Panina is coming to us all the way from Eris Estral. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here, although I'm concerned that I'm not going to fit into the normal <laughs> from women category. Do any of us. <laughs> okay, well, I'm really excited to have you, and Rifki, I know, is as well. Um, I've heard your talks. I've seen them on YouTube. I've read all about you via social media. If you can just first tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do professionally. Sure. Um, I'll tell you the nutshell version of my story. Normally it takes me about an hour, but since we don't have quite that much time, <laughs> I'll give you the nutshell version. So I was born into a secular Jewish home. I had a traumatic childhood. I became a born again Christian in high school. I went to Bible college. I married a pastor. I started a Messianic Jewish congregation. I moved to Orthodox Baltimore to convert Orthodox Jews to Messianic Judaism. And in the end... God had the last laugh. The rest is just details. Wow. What what do you do these days? Like you're not you're not preaching. What is it that you do? <laughs> so so four years after I came back to Judaism, which was now 21 years ago, um, I started actually, I started working with Jews for Judaism for those people who are familiar with is a anti-missionary Jewish outreach organization. Um, and I began teaching and teaching about why Jews don't believe in you know who and um, you know the Jewish answers to those claims. And then people realized I had this wild, crazy story. So we began getting a lot of requests for me to speak just to tell my story. And that's kind of how things started. I have training as a therapist and a counselor. Um, I'm not a psychologist, but I have a lot of coach training, if you will, um, and. So that's primarily between the inspirational speaking and teaching on Jewish topics, but also personal growth topics and coaching is basically what I do. Now, before COVID, I was traveling um, some years, three times, some years, two times uh, to different countries to speak, tell my story, do Shabbatons, things like that. Uh, since COVID, I've been concentrating more on my coaching. And so mm -hmm. I've been developing online programs to work with coaches and, and people. Panina, this is such an incredible story, and I am so I am so curious. How did you, in that period from when you moved to Baltimore, how did you turn it all around? Like, what led you to becoming from? Oh, so it's a long story. So while we were involved with the Messianic movement, I uh, started a journey of just learning about Judaism. Um, I was born into a secular home, so you know I really didn't know anything about Judaism when I became a Christian. So when we decided to start this messianic congregation, I felt like we needed to learn more about Judaism. So I started going to a Jewish bookstore and getting books on Judaism. We, we were actually pioneers in what is now called the um, Torah observant messianic Jewish movement. And uh, we basically were teaching the need to keep the mitzvot, even though we also believed in you know who. So when we came to Baltimore in order to try to convince Jewish people to become Messianic, which, you know, obviously was not, not going to happen, but we didn't know that. Basically, what happened was we realized very quickly, actually, the week we moved in, that if we drove to this Messianic congregation on Shabbat, that nobody would listen to a thing that we have to say because our premise was you can be orthodox and believe in yashka. So, so we decided that we would go to shul in the community on Shabbat and then during the week we would go to our messianic 
congregation. Long story short, because again, it is a long story. My husband, who is a man of tremendous integrity, decided that we needed to tell the rabbi what we believed. And it's wow. a funny story when you're well, telling that, that, it on stage. That's, that's right? really impressive because most people do not yeah. take that approach from my understanding. No. And I was like, this is not going to end well. And <laughs> my husband, <laughs> my, oh my gosh. So my husband insisted because he didn't want the rabbi to feel that we had been lying to him or had betrayed him in some way. And, and so we did. And again, there's, there's a whole big piece uh, that we don't have time for in this interview, but um, but the rabbi made it one of the conditions for us to stay in the shul that we speak to this anti-missionary from Jews for Judaism. And as soon as I began to discover that the things that I believed for 17 years, because at that point I had been a Christian for 17 years, were basically a lie, that really began, that was the beginning of the end and then I just, my one by one, the, the bricks, if you will, of the foundation of my faith, you know, began to crumble. And uh, then I had to figure out what I really did believe. And so that was kind of, uh, that was the turning point there for me, for my husband, it was a much longer journey um, because he didn't have any doubts and he didn't, he wasn't Jewish. So he didn't have that you know, Pintalayid, that that connection to Judaism that I had, even though I didn't know what it meant. And um, and so it was actually, the bottom line is, is that both he and I were very much truth seekers. We still are. We always wanted to know the truth and we're hungry for the truth. And so, you know, when you're open to finding out what the truth is, it will find you. So, you know, my parents became from when I was 12 years old. And it's actually interesting when I think back to it, I sort of had a bird's eye view of the guidance that they received as Bali Chuva, just being a child of Bali Chuva and going through that with them. So I'd like to ask you if there was a piece of advice or guidance that you were given when you were becoming from that has really played out in your life and how. Yeah, there. when I, I was thinking about this question, there were really two things. One is not really advice as much as what Rabbi Lisbon told me that day that he was in our home and we were sharing with him what we believed. And he turned to me and he said, the most important thing that anybody has ever said to me along my Jewish journey, and that was that no matter what I believed, I was a Jew. That one sentence spoke volumes about the fact that I was created for a reason, that I had a purpose and a calling and responsibilities that I needed to not just fulfill, but to discover and to understand. It was like, here's this one simple statement. You're a Jew no matter what you believe. And he did say, but what you believe is not Judaism. But he said, you know, <laughs> but, but that I had a responsibility as a Jewish woman to fulfill the mitzvah that God had given me. And, and so those were like my marching orders, if you will. So that was really, really incredible. But the other piece of advice, which, you know, I'm sure you've heard it a million times and most Balei Tshuva have, and that is not to judge Judaism by the Jews. Mm. And, and as a person coming from Christianity, that was extremely important because I had always had this understanding that if a person has a relationship with God, you would sing God, see God's fingerprints in his life. And you know, that if somebody has a relationship with God, they couldn't possibly basically be human. I mean, that's not how I would have said it, but they couldn't possibly do things that were not good. Mm. And, um, you know, when I realized that there were people in the Orthodox community 
who weren't perfect, who weren't honest or weren't nice or beat their wives or cheated on their taxes or withheld a get for extortion or whatever else it was. Um, you know, my temptation was, well, if this is how Jews act, then Judaism must not be the truth. And this one piece of advice really drove me to always come back to the question of why I became observant in the first place. You know, was it that the Torah was from Hashem or wasn't it? Was it truth or wasn't it? And if it was truth, I had an obligation to follow it no matter what anyone else did because it was the truth with a capital T. And again, that's a theme in my life that, you know, seeking the truth, but because my creator had created it for me, it didn't depend on whether or not anyone else was doing what they were supposed to be doing. And, and as cliche as that phrase is, it actually got me through some really difficult experiences in the Jewish community that might have driven me away from Judaism. But by keeping it in mind that this was not about I mean, yes, at one level, it is about community, but my choosing to be Torah observant was about Hashem and about Torah and about the truth and not about anyone else. And that kept me from leaving in spite of the fact that our community is full of human beings. No, I love, Panina, like how these, these um, pieces of guidance, these, these words that were said to you, what, 21 years ago or whatever it was, you know, at the very beginning of your journey, like have such an impact that you can recall them you know, so handily. So now that you have quote unquote made it, you've married off all four of your children. Yes. What piece of advice would you give someone who is like at an earlier stage of this journey than you? Maybe they haven't made simchas yet. Maybe they've made a bar mitzvah, but they haven't gotten quite to where you are yet. What advice would you give someone who's kind of in the thick of it still? My piece of advice as far as, as being somebody who's made it to somebody who is still in an earlier stage is to remember that Orthodox Judaism is not just a faith system, right? I mean, this almost sounds contradictory to what I just said before, but it is a community and a culture with hundreds, if not thousands of subcultures, right? And it can be confusing to figure out who you are, what your Judaism is supposed to look like and where you fit in. And people will tell you that you are doing it wrong. So my one big piece of advice is to own your Judaism. Learn as much as you can. Learn why you do what you do. Learn the different opinions and the different customs. Learn what is halacha and what is a minhag and then own your Judaism and be confident in who you are as a Jew and ignore everyone else. You know, just to keep in mind that, that things may not look the way you kind of have been under the impression that they're supposed to be, but learn as much as you can and then make your own decisions, you and your spouse, obviously together, but, or if you're not married yet, then decide what your Judaism looks like and own it and own it with confidence and don't worry about what anybody else says. Hey, Panina, you had told me that you had done a talk or you have a talk titled The Five Stages of Tshuva. And Rifki and I are very curious. I mean, that's why we have this episode today about these stages that a Baal Tshuva experiences. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what those five stages are. So, you know, thank you. Um, it's really interesting. One day I was working on creating a marriage workshop and I 
realized that there was a parallel. I actually, the truth is, is that if you Google five stages of marriage, you'll find 20 different lists of, of what these five stages are. It's kind of like the 613 mitts vote. Everybody agrees there's 613, but they don't agree on what they are. So every, everybody has their own version, but the one that I was reading, uh, the five stages of marriage were falling in love, commitment, passion, disappointment or disillusionment, which we would call like the end of the honeymoon and recovery and acceptance or rejection. And I looked at that list of five stages and I said, wow, that is just like what happens to us when we either convert or do tshuva. And, you know, it's, it had relevance at the time, especially because it was around the time of Shavuot and everybody's talking about how that's like, you know, like going to the chuppah with Hashem and, and all of this stuff. So really, we do already use this mat- metaphor of marriage for our relationship with God. And so I kind of equated those. So the first one, which is falling in love, is what I call ignition or enlightenment, right? It's that moment that your eyes are open to the fact that there's a God, a Torah, a truth, whatever it is that really just ignites your curiosity or opens your eyes to the fact that there might be something there. And then two, which in this particular list was commitment, is the stage that I call teshuva, which is pretty explanatory, I think. And then three, passion well, in a marriage, we understand what that, that means. Um, in the teshuva process, I call that, that's the learning stage. That's where you want to know everything there is to know so that you can serve Hashem correctly and also become a proper member of the Jewish community. And it creates inclusion as you learn all the cultural norms and all of that. And then the fourth stage uh, is when reality sets in, right? They, this is called disappointment or disillusionment. And I kind of alluded to this earlier when, you know, maybe somebody does something that directly injures you or you discover that whole extortion for a get phenomenon or abuse in the community or welfare fraud or whatever else it is that really blows your paradigm apart. And, um, you know, you fell in love with Judaism because of something you saw in someone or you came in contact with like a real tzaddik or you simply read something that just blew your mind like in a good way. But now something's happened that completely rocks your Jewish world in a bad way and you have to figure out what to do with that. And when you begin to talk to people in the community, how they help or don't help, how they explain whether or not they try to empathize with your pain, whether or not they try to get you help with, will all determine what happens next. So instead of it being two members of a marriage that are trying to figure out what to do with betrayal or whatever happens, in this case, it's it's this person, the Balt Shuva or convert, and their relationship with the, the greater Jewish community. And what happens in stage four determines what happens in stage five, which is either recovery and acceptance or rejection. And basically every Balt Shuva becomes a missionary, if you will, please forgive the metaphor, but either they will make sense of it and they will find a way to explain it that will factor in to it will, it, once they do that, it will factor into how they share the beauty of Torah observance, right? Or they will begin to do everything in their power to try to push people away from Judaism. And, you know, they basically become a missionary against Judaism, uh, which we've seen that in like some movies that have been produced in in past years, for example. And the truth is, is that even though this is 
you know, I call it the five stages of teshuva. It's really five stages of, of anyone's relationship with Judaism, because a lot of the people, for example, who have produced these movies, who have come out and said these horrible things about Judaism are actually, they're not balei teshuva. They're, they were born from, from birth. But at some point, there is that ignition, and, and then they begin to realize uh, and sometimes it happens all at that time, that moment of the disillusionment or the disappointment. But it's our job as a Jewish community to make sure that when somebody is struggling, we don't push them out the door, that we help them to make sense of it in a context that will help them be able to incorporate that into their relationship with Hashem, with Torah, and with the greater Jewish community. Well, Penina, thank you so much. This has been um, just very enlightening. I, I love trying to see our experiences and other experiences and their relationship with Judaism through the five stages. I think that can even be understood. I'm sure you, you might have thoughts for someone who is FFB, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you. I, this has been very helpful to me. Rifki, I'm sure I speak for you as well. I'm sure our listeners are going to gain so much from our discussion today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, if I can put in a little plug just to let people know that I'm open to a speaking tour again this fall. I haven't you know, traveled since COVID hit and I'm looking forward to, um, to hopefully traveling to the United States this fall. So, Yes. Check out our show notes there. You will find the link to Panina's website. And Panina is also a podcast host. So we will link those, um, <laughs> those links there. What I seriously love about podcasting is meeting new people and learning from them. Yes, I, I found these interviews to be really eye-opening and inspiring. It's always mm-hmm. inspiring to hear people's stories. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it's just something that's so great about podcasting. It's just so awesome to have the opportunity to talk openly with people. Yeah, I love it. We've been pretty transparent on the podcast about our backgrounds. And what I'd like to talk about in response to these interviews is the thing that resonated with each of us the most, considering our own experiences. I'll start. (laughs) Sounds great. So I really connected to when Liv was talking about the power of finding a community who is on the same page as you, observance-wise, and how isolated she felt until she found her niche when she found her, her people who understood where she was coming from and who were growing in the same direction. I also really loved how she faced her inner conflict with the beliefs that she was raised with versus like what she's learning and how she didn't just like outright reject either her past or her, you know, presence, but instead she asked about, asked questions about that dissonance and she talked through it and she worked through it. I really respect that. Um, I just like to talk about two things that resonated with me regarding Panina's talk, you know, our talk with her just love. And it was just, so, you know, here I am 40 years old. I still need to hear this, just that advice of like taking ownership of your Judaism and doing what's right for you and doing what's right for your family and stop worrying about what every, you know, other people are going to think, or if this fits into a specific model that you think is ideal. Yeah. Love that. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. And you know, the five stages are just, it's just, it's so true. Yeah, you know, excellent. it's this relationship. It was excellent. And also just this great idea that I, I love to share here that I think, um, I think Panina reminded me of. Um, it's based on this book called Becoming From, the new, How Newcomers Learn the Language and Culture of Orthodox Judaism. Uh, the, yeah, it's really neat. The author, well, well I'll put a link in the, in the, in the, in the notes, show. but yeah. So 
her name is Sarah Boonin Benora, and she's a professor at Hebrew Union College, and she's really interested in linguistics, um, specifically like sociolinguistic research in the Orthodox community, which is essentially like how the, the correlation between our language and our like social customs. She talks about, it's really neat. And she did like fields research in the community. But one of the things she discusses is what's called, she calls the bungee effect, which is, you know, we're so enthusiastic, you know, coming off of our honeymoon, just like what Vinita was saying. And we do this sort of like deep jump into Frumkite, into Torah, into mitzvot. But what happens when there's a bungee effect, there's that bounce back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in her research, she observed this when she, you know, studied the you know, the, the ways and lifestyle of Balchula is often, you know, there's this sort of going overboard where someone may, you know, lose their identity a bit, stop engaging in activities that actually are psychologically, physically, and emotionally healthy for them, um, in order to sort of, you know, become a certain way that they think they need to become as a firm person. And then that bounce back may throw them all the way back, you know, to sort of where they came from. Right. But what it could also do is bounce back and, and they may land themselves in a more centered place. Um, you know, so it's sort right. of that journey where when you're, when you bounce back and you're now more centered, that experience is when a person may feel that they can like, they, they don't have to prove themselves so much. They feel comfortable with their level, with their knowledge. They've come to grips with who they are. You know, they found their place in the religious spectrum. Right. They can and, really you know, own we've their talked Judaism, about, like you were saying. You own your Judaism. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, I think it was the Rambam who also said, you know, when you want to perfect Amida, you have to go all the way to the other side and then you bounce back to the middle, right? Is that, am I? Absolutely. Yeah. This is yeah. the Shvil Hazahav, that golden, yeah, exactly. you know, golden the middle road. Here's our takeaway for today's episode. As Panina said, we're all in a relationship with Hashem and we all go through stages in that relationship. So we want you to take a look at your relationship with Judaism and God. Which of the five stages most accurately describes where you're at? To refresh your memory, here are the five stages which correlate to the five stages of marriage. Number one, falling in love or enlightenment. Number two, commitment or tshuva. Number three, passion or excitement over learning. Number four, disappointment or disillusionment. And number five, recovery or acceptance or rejection. This is a hard takeaway. It's hard to be honest with ourselves, but hopefully by doing so, we can each assess where we're holding and understand ourselves a little better. Now it's time for five questions with a normal firm woman. Today's normal firm woman is Rivka Harris from Q Garden Hills. If you could be any month in the Jewish year, which month would you be and why? The month I would pick. Hmm. Um, I didn't even give this a second thought. It's clearly Nissan, which, yes, my birthday. But outside of that, I think it does capture this intense and frenetic drama and energy that is very much me, um, both in the frantic making Pesach that we all know about, um, and also in trying to make this perfect, gorgeous Seder and giving it our all for something that is the nicest that we can possibly do. Separately from all that, Nissan really is about new starts, and that's an idea that has always energized me. What's your favorite mitzvah and why? 
My favorite mitzvah is connected to my first answer. Um, I love Birchas Ilanos, both the idea of it and the actual practice of it. And I always did. And as a child, I would sit and watch the spring in my backyard, and I had a cherry tree, and I would wait until it blossomed so that we can make the bracha. And if you look at the bracha itself, you know, it basically says HaKadosh Baruch who built into this world things that we can enjoy. And it, that idea validates for me the idea that Jews need to live fully and inhabit the world fully and enjoy the things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu put here to benefit mankind. What do you do to recharge? I have a really unusual hobby. It gives me a lot of joy and really does keep me whole. About a decade ago, I um, apprenticed in a studio and learned how to carve wax to make models that get cast to make fine jewelry. So wax carving is uniquely Zen. And I had been a potter before. Um, I had been a painter before, but there's something about carving this tiny little block of wax um, so that it mimics the idea that you have in your head, both mechanically and aesthetically. Um, and you can sit there for hours and there's nothing but you and the file and the wax. And um, I don't know, it's so zen and it's so peaceful and I really, really love it. Um, so as a creative person who really does like beautiful things, that in itself gives me joy. Um, but also as somebody who used to be a lawyer who always dealt with really abstract things like contracts and um, court cases, there is something satisfying to me about the fact that at the end of the day, it is something tangible and physical that I can look at and benefit from. What do you love about yourself? My favorite thing about myself is that I happen to be bottomlessly curious, um, and even boring things seem interesting to me. What do you think the firm world needs more of? As the parent of four teen daughters, I believe the firm world absolutely desperately needs an overhaul in the methodology that we use to communicate our misara to our teens. Our teens are much deeper than we give them credit for, even if you think their attention spans are more frenetic and scattered. Um, there is such deep dysfunction in our community, and our tents need to widen enough so that we can see eternal potentials of kids who, you know, on first glance, people don't see what's magic about them. Thanks for joining us today. And thanks for listening to the entire episode. If you liked what you heard today, please click on those stars to rate and write a little something to review. Rifki and I would be so grateful. As always, stay in touch by sending us an email at normalfromwomen at gmail.com or finding us on Facebook and Instagram. See you next episode. <laughs>